Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. I am very excited and very grateful to say that I've had two different expos reach out and ask me to come present. So while the details are still being worked out, I'm hoping to have other members of Retro RGB with me at every one of these and um, hopefully do more presentations and especially more collaborations because I really love collaborating with other people, uh, both because I enjoy it and because it's fun to bring crowds together and kind of introduce new people to each other. And speaking of collaborations, I want to remind everybody that it's about a week and a half from today that I will be doing a panel with Retronauts at PAX East in Boston. Um, the date is Saturday, February 29th at 7 p.m. in Bumblebee Theater. wanted to make sure I got that right. So um, as I always say, I hope to meet as many of you as possible. I really enjoy meeting and hanging out with everybody. love doing the panels and especially the Q&As and stuff after. There's always, there's always really amazing questions in there. So anyway, I'm just very excited to, uh, to just be hanging out and and kind of hanging out with all of you. But anyway, let's jump into the news. First up is another round of pre-orders for the GC Loader. Uh, just like last week, they're going to be up tomorrow, Thursday, February 20th at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure to look up whatever time zone that you're in. Um, and this is going to be another pre-order batch like last time. Uh, and I believe everything's exactly the same. So in fact, it's the same post from last week. I just updated it. Um, but they're going to be available from both Dan's store and an EU-based store for people that want to order out of there. Um, and each batch will be shipped in different groups. So last week's batch will be shipped to them. They'll process all the orders. Next batch will come in. And this is really just to ensure that everything gets done in a timely manner. Nothing's overwhelmed. Um, it's, it's really easy to get overwhelmed with this stuff. I've only uh, assisted on pre-orders for things like this um, in the retro gaming world, at least. I've only helped out a few times at much smaller scales. And it was still something that was just, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. You have a lot of these parts that you have to make sure that are all out and they're all shipped at the same time and shipped to the right addresses. So I, I think what um, I think what Dan decided to do on this one is absolutely the right thing to do. And just a couple of different pre-order batches. There's going to be enough for everybody eventually. And uh, I think the GC Loader is a pretty awesome device myself. So uh, overall, if you're interested in this, try again tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, if you're listening to this the day it comes out. Uh, and if not, there, I'm sure there'll be another one and probably another one after that. So everyone will get a chance to buy theirs. But uh, if you're impatient like I am, make sure to get ready right at 10 a.m., and keep it in refresh and buy yourself one. The 240p test suite project just had an update posted to its Patreon page, and it was mostly focused on MD Fourier testing. Uh, and I guess they're also working on SNES, Game Boy, PC Engine, which TurboGrafx-16 as well, and keeping up with the Genesis and Sega CD versions. So this audio preservation project's really starting to get a lot bigger than I originally expected, and I'm really happy to say that too, because I think it's very important 
both for sound accuracy, you know, historical significance. There's a really long, long list of things that I could just start spewing out as to why this is something that's pretty important. And I'm I'm equally as excited that other people are equally excited about it. Uh, so it's a public post, so you don't have to be a Patreon supporter in order to read it. Uh, but if you've ever used the 240p test suite, you know how helpful that is. So if if you're able to, maybe consider throwing a dollar a month or something just to help keep the project going. Um, and also, there is an interview with Artemio by Don Luca that kind of goes into a lot of the stuff that he's been doing as well. So uh, if you're in the mood for a pretty cool written interview, check that out. All links are in the main post. Retro Game Restore has just announced their version of a Raspberry Pi hat that gets RGB output. So this is a device that has RCA outputs that plugs onto the to the top of a Raspberry Pi, including all the way up to a Raspberry Pi 4, and get you RGBS output with left and right audio via the RCA connectors. So if you're going to something like a Sony BVM or PVM, this is a pretty easy way to direct connect. All you need is some BNC adapters. If you're going into a SCART device, you might need a custom cable. This might not be the right choice, depending, but uh, I think that's one of the things that I always annoyingly say is I do love that there's choices out there. And with the RetroTink Ultimate being discontinued. I think this is a pretty cool device to stand in its place. Um, It is just RGBS. There's no composite or S-video, but I think if you're looking for a device like this, that's what you're looking for anyway. Um, And I still, I know it's been months now, but I still haven't had a chance to really dig into Raspberry Pi 4 emulation, but everybody that I've spoken to says that there is a noticeable difference on depending on the emulation and what game you're playing. So I'm very excited to give this a try. Um, I'll hopefully be getting one soon enough. And, uh, you know, at the very least, maybe this will kick me in the butt to get my Raspberry Pi 4 up and running and test out, do some lag testing, I guess, or something like that. But anybody that wants direct RGB output from a Raspberry Pi without doing HDMI conversion, this probably is something you should at least look into, as well as the other really great solutions out there like the Pi to SCART, the RGB Pi. Um, you know, just search around retro RGB for it and you'll see all the different solutions. And I'm just happy that there's another choice. My Life in Gaming just launched part one of a five-part documentary series called Analog Frontiers, and part one is called The World of Vintage Gaming. And I absolutely loved this video. I can't wait to see the rest of the series. And I'm not saying that because I'm in a few bits of it. Uh, I legitimately started watching it. And the whole time I'm thinking they are nailing it. Everything from the way they're presenting the info to their, you know, the technical descriptions to the the absolutely wonderfully uh, edited and shot video itself. I mean, I think we could all agree that their videos have always been top notch and pro level, but this one just cranked it up to 11 on absolutely every possible aspect of it. Um, I, I think this is something that anybody that's into the retro gaming scene should watch and should watch with people that may be interested, maybe not, maybe wondering why we spend so much time messing around with 20, 30-year-old consoles. And I just think it's a really great introduction to to why it's important. And on a on a personal note, um, you know, I have I always have had a very hard time getting the thoughts in my head out my stupid face. Uh, in these weeklies, I usually do a couple of takes of anything that requires more than just saying a date and a pre-order time or something like that. Uh, and it's it's still something I've always struggled with. And I feel like when I'm watching their documentary, I feel like they took the interview with me and got my point across better than I could have if I was the one editing it myself. <laughs> Which, like I said, that's a very personal thing to talk about, and I certainly don't want to try to make this about me. It's just something that, that struck me 
uh, it struck me pretty hard because I also feel like, and I, I certainly don't want to put words in other people's mouths, but the, the other people that are in this documentary that I know and I'm friends with, I feel like it was the same thing. I feel like when they showed clips of the people I know, this is exactly what it feels like to hang out with these awesome people. And this is the, the type of thing that they might say in the way that they would say it. So, you know, as somebody who's so often misquoted or, or just completely, you know, completely taken the wrong way, which I guess is my fault, but I'm just so used to, I'm so used to having to explain what I really meant, mostly in neutral situations. Like I meant up, I said down. Uh, this is just, I'm so proud that I'm included in this at all, even in any bit, both because it's such a wonderful documentary and because I got to actually watch myself make the point that I was trying to make. <laughs> so once again, you know, my apologies to, to Mark and Try for, or for Mark and Try, Mark is Try, to Mark and Corey for making this a little bit about me in this segment here. I just wanted to, to give my personal thoughts on it as well as just an overview because I did want everybody to know that when you watch this, I mean, this is legit. This is... Uh, both the people that are involved and the things that they talk about. Uh, I'm just so happy for them, and I hope this thing sends their career into a totally different level because they deserve it. So please, please give it a watch. Um, and even if I annoy you in it, there's way more awesome people in it than me. <laughs> Sonic 2 is now coming to the Nintendo Switch via M2's Sega Ages ports. It's going to be released on February 20th, so tomorrow if you're watching this, uh, the day it comes out. And in an interview with M2, it, it was pretty interesting to see the things that they had added. Because as as typical with M2 releases, they don't just port a game. They, they really tend to go above and beyond and add as much as they can. And you get things like the ability to play as Knuckles, just like if you connected Sonic 2 to Sonic and Knuckles. Um, the drop dash from Sonic Mania has been implemented. HD vibration has been implemented, as well as a challenge mode in online ranking. And they said something in um, when talking about the CRT filter. They, they made a comment about it being more elaborate than the one that's in the Genesis Mini or the 3DS filters. And I picked up on something which, this is totally speculation, by the way, so please don't quote this as fact. Uh, but in reading the Google translated interview, so I'm sure that has a, a part to do with it, they did make kind of a, a passing comment about the Switch being more powerful than the Genesis Mini, so you could do more with things like the CRT filter. And while this could just be a translation issue, I'm also wondering if that was just kind of their polite way of saying, like, you know, we know the Genesis Mini could have been more powerful, but we worked with what we got. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to put words in their mouth. I know that's just speculation, but I just found it interesting that the way it was worded when the page was translated, maybe that was their way of saying this is going to be better than Sonic 2 on the Genesis Mini. I don't really know. Uh, I still I still think that as far as your average person that's looking for a blast in nostalgia, the Genesis Mini is awesome. But for hardcore Genesis fans, it's just still something that could have been emulated better, certainly not nearly as good as the Mr. Project or the Mega SG. So, you know, there's uh, different things for everybody. There's certainly a place for it, but I just found that comment interesting. I read it a couple times wondering what they really meant by it, or if they didn't mean anything by it and it was a Google Translate issue. So, uh, anyway, um, it looks like M2 is also working on a port of Puyo Puyo 2 that's based on the arcade version, and I believe this is the first time it'll get an official release outside of Japan. Uh, once again, it's a, you know, I think that was from another translated site, so I apologize if I got that stuff wrong. And uh, also, speaking of my life in gaming, they did a pretty awesome interview with M2, uh, a full documentary on them, actually. So uh, if you're into these types of, um, of ports and you just want to learn more about a pretty cool company, definitely watch that one as well. 
A brand new Sega Genesis game was just announced called Insane Pain. And while it's in its very early stages of development, at least the concept looks really awesome. It's inspired by Mortal Kombat, and they're trying to do their own style of digitization. Um, so instead of taking people like they did with Mortal Kombat, uh, they're taking 3D models created in Blender, which are then converted to 2D sprites that can be displayed within the Genesis limitations. So, uh, I mean, this is just a, a project that looks like it's massive and probably uh, a huge undertaking, but something I would definitely enjoy playing. Um, MK is my favorite game of all time, my favorite fighting game of all time. I still play it to this day, uh, and anything that's inspired by it, especially a, an awesome homebrew game that's really um, just going above and beyond to try to make a legit Genesis fighting game, it just sounds like something that's right up my alley. So uh, we'll be following the project, and of course we'll be um, updating whenever there's any big updates to it. They do have their own website if you'd like to take a closer look at what's going on in real time and i'm very excited for it um you know obviously i would never try to to guess on a release date because projects like this are massive but you know hopefully we'll see it sooner rather than later i guess there's a new firmware update for the PSIO, or SIO, depending how you pronounce it, uh, and it looks like the team behind it has concentrated a lot on bug fixes uh, and compatibility, and there's quite a long list of things that they tried to add to it, uh, really just trying to buckle down and get this as compatible and as well-performing as they can. So definitely props to them to sticking with the project and to try to keep improving it. Um, it looks like Stone Age Gamer is still back-ordered a few weeks for it, uh, but it says a few weeks, not a few months. So if you're interested, it seems to be slowly getting easier to buy one of these. Um, and for anybody that's unaware of what the project is, it's a device that plugs into the back of any of the standard PS1s, not the slimline or small PlayStation 1. And you're able to play games off of an SD card while retaining CD drive functionality. However, it still requires a mod to the motherboard. So it's not a plug-and-play device. You have to still do a mod, but it's switchable. So uh, with the flick of a switch, you essentially put your PlayStation back to stock, allowing you to play all of your original collection and all that stuff on it. Um, and it, while it had some issues at first, it seems to be getting to be uh, a bit more of a robust device and a pretty cool option for people that want something like an optical drive emulator for the original PlayStation. Uh, so if you're if you already own one, check out the post for all of the updates. And if you're looking to get one, the post also has links on where you could get it. Analog just sent out a mass email to everybody who purchased the Mega SG cartridge adapters, warning that there may be a problem with the Game Gear adapter and not to use it. So there were three adapters sent out for anybody that purchased. Uh, the other two supposedly are fine. It's only the Game Gear adapter that has issues. And it's easily identifiable because it's got a clear piece of plastic. And on the PCB, you could very clearly see it says GG adapter 1.0. So they're telling everybody with a 1.0 adapter to not use it. They will be shipping out replacements, I believe they said within a month or so. Um, and it seems like they're really just trying to make this right. And, and to be honest, you know, it's it's easy to take pot shots at a company. And I did, you know, I'll admit I did laugh when I saw some of the messages like, oh, they're sending it back. But, you know, how much are they going to charge you for shipping? Like, it did make me giggle. And I know people are just being silly when they say stuff like that. But I do think, at least in my opinion, it's important to realize that, you know, Analog identified a mistake, mass emailed everybody, posted across all of social media, posted on their website, uh, and now they're shipping out free adapters for everybody to replace the broken ones. 
And I just, I think that's a sign of a really awesome company that's trying to do the right thing. So, you know, you could choose to look at this any way that you would like to, but I'm choosing to look at this as no one's perfect, no company's perfect. And if this is how they handle their mistakes, then I think that's absolutely awesome. So props to Analog for being cool about this and helping everybody and being proactive. They didn't wait to hear people start to complain about it. They immediately, as soon as they identified then they ended up fixing it. And I think anybody that's into weird history, there's always that story, which might just be a rumor about uh, car companies doing that. They always calculate the cost of lawsuits versus the cost of a recall. And I watched a documentary years ago about somebody thought that's how seatbelts were first invented because they thought maybe there was going to be too many lawsuits that year from a car that was bad. So it's, I don't know, maybe that was all internet myth. I did see that a long ass time ago, but I, I just very happy that analog didn't choose that path. They just chose to say, Hey, we messed up. Here's a new one. So props to them. And as soon as it comes in, I do want to mess with it, and I also want to see if I could figure out what exactly went wrong, because I think that would be a pretty cool learning experience for anybody that was trying to make cartridges. Or maybe it's a proprietary thing that has nothing to do with anybody else, and that's why Analog didn't explain exactly what the issue is. Either way, I'm still going to take a look. Both the Behar Brothers and TR Fight Stick have just opened pre-orders on a brand new Dreamcast replacement shell. It's designed for people using a GDMU. Um, it's $150, so it is on the pricier side, but this looks like a pretty premium product, at least to me. Um, the insides of it are, are kind of where it gets uh, even more interesting in that it's not designed at all for use with discs, only the GDMU, so that the top never opens. It's just a case that's always sealed. Um, however, there's an adapter that allows you to break out the SD card support to the back of the unit so that you don't have to ever open it to get to the SD card. And there's even a button in back to... Uh, move the functionality of the button from the GDMU as well as a hole in back for the DC HDMI. And while you don't need the DC HDMI in order to use this case, at least the hole is already there and waiting for you, uh, which kind of makes it a pretty clean and awesome install. Um, they said that they tested it uh, for heat tolerances to make sure that the new case didn't get too hot. Uh, and they're using an aftermarket power supply. I believe it's the Dream PSU. Uh, I forgot to confirm that. My apologies. But overall, it looks like a pretty awesome upgrade for anybody that's looking for this exact specific scenario. So maybe you have uh, a DC HDMI and a GDMU in your Dreamcast and the case is all beat up. This is a, a pretty premium upgrade. Uh, or maybe you're looking to do these mods and you don't want to cut up your case and you don't want to deal with anything else. This is also seems like a pretty cool choice uh go to either the behar brothers site or tr fight stick to pre-order links to all of them of course are in the post i just released a video that is an overview of a beta product for the sega saturn um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the project the it is the satiator or satiator i still don't really know what you're supposed to call it but saturn Satiator also kind of sounds like the Terminator, which is fun. So unless the creator, Professor Abrasive, tells me different, I'm just going to keep calling it the Satiator. But anyway, this is a plug-and-play device that goes right into the MPEG slot in back of the Saturns. Um, that's behind the battery door. Just slide it right in, and you can play games right from an SD card without any modding whatsoever to the console. Um, I think this is the perfect solution for people that want to both use games off of Flash Media, especially good for things like translations and patches, but still keep the CD-ROM functionality for their original games. 
uh, I think I made it pretty clear in the video that this is a beta device, and while I think it performed perfectly, you know, I did mention things like action replay support didn't work at this time, but there, there's no target release date yet, so I imagine that a lot of these things are going to be fixed before release, and I think this is a 3D printed case anyway. Uh, I believe I remember pictures of this, uh, of what the final version might look like that looked pretty cool. Although, in my personal opinion, I would have no problem with the 3D printed case. It works fine, it does what I needed to do, so whatever. I just once it's in, you close the back door and you don't have to worry about it anyway. Uh, but overall, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I guess there's other channels out there that have been doing more um, individual videos about this. So if you want to follow the progress of each of the beta firmware updates and see its functionality, maybe just Google Satiator or check out uh, YouTube for it and see. For me, I just I, I kind of wanted to wait until it was at a point where it was pretty stable to show it off and kind of let everybody know, like, yes, it's been years, but the project's still coming. Um, and also, you know, I, I don't think I want to do too many more updates on this uh, as far as like the different beta firmwares and stuff like that. I'll of course let everybody know when there's major updates, uh, if and when there's a pre-order or if they're just going to be in stock at some point. Uh, no price yet, no availability yet. And I do have an interview from a few years ago with Professor Abrasive that was back in the old, uh, the old setup with the green screen behind me. But uh, anybody that's interested, please check all of that out. And uh, a giant shout out and thank you to my friends Destiny and Joey because I got halfway through shooting the video and my Saturn stopped reading discs uh, and I needed to borrow a 4 meg cart because I have no idea what happened to my RAM cart. I could swear I had at least one of them. So it's probably a Cousin Scott's or something. And, uh, you know, they, they ran over and helped. So thank you very much. That is like the third or fourth video in the past year that would have been severely delayed if, uh, if they didn't lend a hand. So shout out and very heartfelt thank you for saving my butt again. Modern Vintage Gamer has just released a follow-up to his video about how Game Boy Color graphics work, and this video is how Game Boy Advance graphics work. And I definitely don't want to give any spoilers because I enjoyed this video a lot, but I think most people might be surprised in the comparisons between the Game Boy Advance and the Super Nintendo, because for years it's just been internet myth that it's the same system or a smaller version of. Uh, so definitely check out the video and his description of it. Um, you know, I do love how he always walks the line of really technical so people that are experts can still enjoy it, but still word things in a way where people like me don't feel dumb watching it. Although I'll admit I do have to rewind a couple times to make sure I got stuff correct but uh, another very cool video from Modern Vintage Gamer so please remember to check it out and I believe he has a Patreon as well so if you want to help support this stuff uh, I'm obviously a fan of Patreon and crowd support for people and you know it, it's just something that's that's made a lot of things possible not just in retro gaming that couldn't have been possible before so if you're a fan of somebody you know maybe always think about throwing them a buck a month to make sure that it keeps going um, I certainly have I, I my Patreon subscription list has gotten pretty high at these days but <laughs> you know I'm not a millionaire I can't afford to give everybody 20 bucks a month but I just feel like if enough people throw a dollar a month to enough people uh, these projects will continue and get funded without so much out of people's pockets you know but anyway sorry to rant about my opinions on that I'm just a fan of MVG and crowd supporting stuff that I'm a fan of I saved this one for last because it's a bit of a bummer. No drama or anything like that, but it's an unfortunate truth that I need to warn everybody about. A few days ago, I got a call from Pat, the former Sony BVM technician who I'd interviewed a few times and who had, uh, who had helped many, many people with their monitors over the years. And he was very concerned that there was an eBay seller that had stolen his pictures from a monitor that he, stole, uh, that he sold. Um, and in the description, 
pretty much copied the description and then said partners with Pat. And Pat had never heard of this person before. It definitely didn't go through him. The pictures were definitely stolen pictures. Uh, and there were even some signs that it was a full-on scam. So it could have just been somebody that knew enough about retro gaming to put all the right buzzwords in there. And, you know, the, the typical scam and that as soon as you get the money, you disappear. And very often those people don't get caught sadly. So as much as I really, I don't ever like talking about negative stuff. I really do prefer to only talk about neutral or positive stuff. Sometimes you kind of have to, and I, I would feel like I, I would be doing an injustice, not warning people about this. And also Pat asked me that I, I speak to everybody about this, but there are absolutely people who have brought their monitors to Pat to be serviced and then resold them. Pat sometimes does sell monitors himself. Uh, but there is no partners with Pat type of thing, especially not from someplace really, really far away from California. So please just be careful when buying monitors. There's still good deals out there. Um, if it's good, too good to be true, it's probably not true. But, um, you know, it, I did do a video a while back, the top five tips when buying an RGB monitor online. Um, unfortunately, a lot of feedback from that video came from people who who thought some of the things I described in that video weren't scams and that I had misunderstood. And it made me really, really sad because they definitely were scams. And that means that the person who thought that would have fallen for that scam themselves. So, you know, anybody that follows the channel knows how much I just hate all of that stuff. I hate people who rip other people off or try to hurt people or people that get enjoyment out of, out of negativity like that. So, uh, I, I, you know, Pat asked me to warn everybody and I told him I gladly would. And, you know, do keep in mind though, that there are still plenty of fair deals on monitors out there. Um, I've had two in the past couple months that were both completely fair. They weren't cheap, but they were not scalpers. They were just, here's what the price is today. So here's what I'm going to pay. And both were, were described exactly as is like, there's still tons and tons and tons of, of good monitors and amazing people out there. But unfortunately, you know, it's real life. I got to still remind people of all the bad stuff. So I tried to keep the segment as short as possible. I re-recorded this one segment about a million times because I didn't want anything to come out the wrong way. And I didn't want to come across as being something, I, I don't know. But I just, uh, I just want to make sure everybody knows that, you know, monitors are rare and expensive. Think of them like antiques these days. You're either going to get one that's old and needs to be refurbished or possibly already has been refurbished and is more expensive and anything in between. And just be careful. There's tons of good people out there, but there's still occasionally ones that, that really get enjoyment out of screwing people over. And those are the ones that will ruin your day. So sorry for the, the bummer last post, but uh, you know it's something that definitely needed to get out there. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thank you so much for watching, for listening, for participating nicely in the comments. And of course, an extra special thank you for everybody that supports on platforms like Floatplane or Patreon, because without your support, these videos or any of the behind the scenes research or any of the work that I'm involved in just wouldn't happen. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.